Welcome to the Sunday Sermons Podcast. It was recorded on a Sunday morning at Morrison Hill Christian Church in Kingston, Tennessee. Our prayer is that the truths and strategies presented in this message will equip you to become a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Welcome to Morrison Hill. Uh, Probably if we have some guests here, they're looking around saying a lot of empty seats here. But you know what, we're kind of happy about that because 24 couples are in Gatlinburg at the marriage retreat that's sponsored by our congregation. And uh, it's just a super, super retreat. So uh, still, this is good. We, we, got, uh, we got people here to love the Lord and glad that you're here today too. Uh, today we're going to conclude a series that John started on moral boundaries. And I like the way that John did this because it wasn't a, you can't do this, you can't do this. He was talking about the things that God likes. You know, within these moral boundaries, all of these things that we can do and all of these things that we can be, these are the things that God wants. And the one thing that God loves and demands from all of us is faithfulness. But before we talk about faithfulness, I think we really need to define faith. Uh, because faith is how faithfulness expresses itself. Had that backwards, didn't it? Faithfulness is how faith expresses itself. And so if we're going to say we have faith, we express that faith with the faithfulness by which we live. But how does Scripture define faith? You know, faith is not just simply a mental attitude and say, okay, I believe that, I'll, I'll go with that. It is so much more than that. Faith is belief that produces action. And this is so important. Uh, James, in second chapter, verse 14 and 17, asks this question. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? And then he goes on to answer that question. He says, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead, and it can't save us. He goes on to cite from the life of Abraham, who was one of our basic examples of faith. He says of Abraham, he said, you, you see, look at Abraham's life. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, not by faith alone. So simply saying that we believe something uh, is not really faith. I think every one of us here today would say, well, I believe that George Washington was first president of the United States. But does that faith save our lives? Not in the least. So it's more than just a belief in something or belief in anything. The scriptures define it this way. They say that uh, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance that enables us to see and understand that, uh, sorry, assurance of what we do not see. And this confidence and the assurance enables us to see and understand that there is a supreme being who created the universe and we are all a part of that creation. He has revealed to us basic commandments to live by based on the way that he designed us and to reflect his character. And he has revealed that we are responsible to him for how we live our lives. And there will either be punishment for disobedience and unfaithfulness, 
or there will be rewards for faithfulness. So believing these things is the essence of our faith and living our lives by this faith is faithfulness. This is the reason that we're here today. We believe in this God. We believe in what he did for us through Jesus Christ. We believe in all of this of what the Bible says and that's why we're here. But I want us to talk about several different things about faithfulness that we don't ordinarily talk about. So first, we need to understand that faith and faithfulness are choices. We have been given freedom to choose to live by faith or not. We can choose to be faithful or we can choose to be unfaithful. But faithfulness will also produce character qualities that reflect the spiritual character of Christ and the deeds that accomplish God's purposes. And both of these together are often combined and used in this word, fruit. Now, the degree of our faithfulness is related to the degree of the fruitfulness in our lives. How much of God's character do we reflect? And how many of the deeds that he has given us to do are we doing though? Are we doing? John the 15th chapter, Jesus uses a metaphor of the garden to represent his followers. And he identifies himself first of all as the vine that empowers the branches to live and produce fruit. He presents God as the gardener who is very concerned that his garden will produce as much fruit as possible. And as he teaches this lesson, it becomes very clear that the gardener will do whatever it takes to fulfill his purpose. Now, the main points of this, I want to just sum this up. You've got scripture references in your, in your bulletin guide there, that insert. You can look these up, but I'm going to just summarize these very quickly. First of all, Jesus says, I am the vine, you, we, his followers, are the branches. And he says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. You will, or and apart from me, you can do nothing. And then secondly, the second point, he says that the gardener, God, cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. Jesus explains it this way. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Not a very good thought. But going on, the third thing he says is while every branch that does bear fruit, he, the gardener, God prunes that, that plant so that it will bear even more fruit. And that's why Jesus says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear, not just fruit, you will bear much fruit. And then in the fourth thing, Jesus concludes saying, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So how does faithfulness affect fruitfulness? Well, fruitfulness is produced by a lifestyle of faithfulness. Faithfulness means remaining in Christ, having his words remain in us so that Christ himself can remain in us. And the more faithful we are, the more fruit we bear. 
And our Creator designed our spiritual growth the same way. It's like the growing plant. It's ongoing. It's a daily process. We just keep on growing like this. Another point about faithfulness. Going on with this, I said we choose to be faithful, and we do. We choose to be faithful or unfaithful. Faithfulness is a choice that we make, but here's what I want to say. No one forces us to be faithful, and no one can force us to be unfaithful. That is purely our choice. And so uh, every day we have to choose, am I going to be faithful or am I not? With every temptation, with every difficulty we face in life, make the choice, am I going to be faithful or not? So we need to focus on Christ and let his words guide how we live. Anybody here remember Flip Wilson? Long, long time ago. Now some of you may remember him. He was best known for his explanation for all of his mistakes and wrongdoings. Remember what it was? The devil made me do it. Okay, now that catchphrase was good comedy, but it's bad theology. Uh, the devil is always tempting us to be unfaithful to our God, but the devil cannot make us do anything. In every temptation, we have a choice, be faithful or unfaithful. And we can't blame someone else. We can't blame our spouse. We can't blame peer pressure. We can't blame circumstances or, or anything else. And so whether the devil or anyone tempts us, our sinful choices, and we have to come to grips with this, our sinful choices are based on our own fickleness, our own selfishness, and our own selfish desires. So when we stand before God to give an account of ourselves, we can't blame our spouse, we can't blame family members, we can't blame our enemies, we can't blame anything. We make the choice. And as we wait for our Lord's return, here's the neat part. Our faithfulness ensures that we will be prepared. Now Jesus told uh, another parable about the ten virgins. They were actually bridesmaids, but this was part of the culture there. Uh, he says five were faithful, or five were foolish, five were wise. Here was the thing. They were invited to a wedding banquet. Now, we need to understand, first of all, about this parable, that the, there are definite implications for all of us followers of Christ of being prepared for this marriage banquet of the Lamb when he returns to take his church home. And so he tells this story then. They come, five foolish, five wise. The foolish ones did not bring enough oil. They thought, oh, we got enough. The wise ones brought extra oil. We don't know how long we're going to have to wait. And as it was, the bridegroom was late in coming. They fell asleep, and they're waiting for him, but then they get the sound. The bridegroom is coming. And they wake up, and the foolish ones say, oh, give us some oil. Uh, we, we don't have enough. And the wise one says, we won't have enough for ourselves if we give some to you. You go and buy some. Now that doesn't sound like the Christian thing to do, does it? But there's a point. Listen to this. It's, it's got a point here. So they go to buy last-minute preparations here. Well, they weren't ready before. Last-minute preparations. They're trying to get ready. And then the bridegroom comes, and the five wise ones get to go on into the banquet. And then the door is shut. Okay, 
And the five foolish ones then come back who weren't ready, hadn't prepared enough. They come back, let us in, let us in. And they're refused entrance. Now, Jesus tells this story, but listen to the purpose of this and why he's telling this story. He concludes this parable with these words. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of my return. The moral here is faithfulness keeps us prepared. And being, staying prepared is part of our faithfulness. We can't afford any lapses in faithfulness. We can't afford to walk away from it for a while and then think, well, we'll come back later. Now, remember, faithfulness and preparedness is a choice, individual choice. But here's the other thing that this parable teaches. Faithfulness cannot be shared and it can't be transferred. It's been heartbreaking at times in my ministry to see someone, you know, who died faithful in the Lord. And uh, we'll, we'll jump ahead a few years here then. Uh, and the Lord takes them home. And they say, well, you know, I was part of that family. That, that was my spouse. I ought to be able to go to heaven too. You know, that, that was my best. You know, we went to church together. Yeah, he was living faithful. I wasn't living. But I ought to be able to go too. But I, we were best friends. We did everything. No, sorry. His or her faithfulness can't be transferred or shared with you. We are all individually responsible for whether we are faithful or we are unfaithful. So this is something we have to remember. Now, another parable here. Just so that we understand that we have to do whatever it takes to remain faithful. You remember Jesus told the story about the talents and the minas. And, and in this story, uh, it's about faithfulness in fulfilling the responsibility that a master entrusts to his servants. And in both stories, servants were given different amounts for use in increasing the master's wealth or expanding his kingdom. And in each story that he told here, there was one servant who was not faithful. He didn't use what was given him. And what happened? Well, he was punished. He was punished. Now, jumping ahead to Luke 16, 10, Jesus told two more stories that explore this idea, saying this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So Jesus measures the faithfulness not by how much they were given, but by the character of the person who was entrusted with that, with that uh, responsibility. Not by the amount. And if the servant who had received the smallest amount had been faithful to do what he had been told and entrusted to do, he would have been rewarded too. It didn't matter that he got a lesser amount. Regardless of whether you get a big amount or a lesser amount, faithfulness is expected. And faithfulness then is rewarded. So we, we, we've got to understand this. Being faithful is more than not being, or than, more than not being, let's get this right here. Being faithful is far more than not being faithful or being unfaithful. Jesus measures our faithfulness by the character of the person entrusted, not by the amount. 
Being faithful, here we go. Being faithful is far more than not being unfaithful. That's what I'm wanting to say. As in, we know we're not supposed to murder, we're not supposed to steal, we're not supposed to commit adultery, we're not supposed to cause any dissension or gossip or anything like this. So that's a given. We don't, we're not to do those things. But being faithful actually means more. It means producing fruit, producing the character qualities of Christ within our life and being faithful to do the things that God has commissioned us to do. That's what faithfulness is all about. Now, we need to look at two very important fruits that we should be producing. Now, we're, there's a lot of them. I'm going to focus on two. Love and unity. Now, listen closely. The, Jesus' last day on earth, his last supper with his apostles, this is what he told them. A new commandment I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. That's got to be the characteristic of the body of Christ. It's got to be the characteristic of our congregation is loving each other. Now there's another one, the unity. This is another important one that is so dear to the heart of Christ his last prayer time with the Father in Gethsemane. This is one of the things that he prayed for. He prayed for all his followers and for all who would ever believe in him. That's us. His prayer was that all of them may be one, Father, just as you and me and I am in you. May they also be in us so the world may believe that you have sent me. So important to Christ. Now, we have problems here because the hardest time for us to love one another and maintain unity is when we've been hurt by one another. And that's, we're hurt because there's love there. And, and we get hurt. Love, love is why. Nevertheless, to be faithful in love and unity then brings on the need for two other virtues, forgiveness and patience. Carl Ketcherside was one of my favorite preachers to listen to when I was going to Bible college. And uh, he devoted his life uh, to preserve, to re restore and preserve the unity of the church. And he pointed out this one very important truth. He says, churches do not divide over personal issues. They don't. They divide because their members lose their love for one another. And they don't enjoy being around him. They hold grudges. They withhold forgiveness. And withholding love is what makes forgiveness impossible. Now, the model prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, he told them to ask for forgiveness as we forgive others. And to emphasize this point, right after he finished that model prayer, he said this, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you. Paul wrote this. He said, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive 
as the Lord forgave you. Now I know we tend to feel justified in withholding forgiveness if that hurt is big and deep. But the command to forgive as the Lord forgave you is still there. And this is the lesson in the parable of the unmerciful servant who was forgiven a humongous debt. And then later on he meets someone who owes him just a very small debt and he is unwilling to forgive. He had been shown mercy, he refused to, to show mercy and so that forgiveness was retracted. Now we don't like to admit that the reason that we are withholding forgiveness is that we are withholding love and not loving others as Christ has loved us. And so it's easy to be deceived and feel justified for withholding love when we feel like we've done nothing wrong. We don't deserve such ill treatment. Now, can I be transparent? I want to share one of my failures from my past, and maybe this will help you understand. Uh, shortly, well, during the time when uh, Sharon was pregnant with John, her mom came down to live with us. Now, I won't go into all the things, but all of a sudden, she just started being critical, critical, critical of me, of Sharon. She was just hurting Sharon so badly. And it just got to the point where I did not enjoy being around her. Okay, we would go to visit. They'd sit at the table and visit. I'd go in the living room and sit down. I just didn't want to be around her. Okay, now it was, Sharon was saying, can't you reconcile with my mom? And I said, me? I haven't done anything. She's the one. I'm, she owes me an apology. So I was withholding forgiveness. Why? Because I was withholding love. Now, I, it, it got bad, you know. I, all these mother-in-law jokes, I memorized them all. <laughs> I even created one myself. Uh, Sharon's mom was in a car accident, but she was not hurt. And we were at church, and Sharon was telling one of her best friends about this. She says, she says, Wanda, my mother was in a car wreck this week. I heard this as I was walking by, and I stopped. And she says, oh, no, was your mother hurt? And before Sharon could answer, I said, no, she's all right, but her broom was a total loss. <laughs> so, okay, that's, you know, that's how far it can go. You withhold love, you withhold forgiveness. And when God convicted me of that, Regardless of what she was doing, I was wrong for withholding love and withholding forgiveness. I was in my study at the time, and I just closed up the book. I went over to the house. I said, pack your bags. We're going to Pennsylvania. What for? I have to make things right with your mom. I've got to apologize her for not, to her for not loving her. Really? And I did. The rest of the story is even more beautiful. But it, it was good. But listen to what the Apostle John says. He writes this. Anyway, now, notice in the scripture, you never see the word like or not like. Love or hate. And it was hard for me to bring myself to admit to myself, I don't love her, but I don't hate her. Oh, yeah, I did. So you got to come to grips with this. Here's what John says. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister is still in the darkness. And anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light. And there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness 
and walks around in the darkness, they don't know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. I experienced that. Now, faithfulness has to include forgiveness, and it also has to include patience. Now, faithfulness must not just be the forgiving. Healing takes time, but it may take time for the offending person, the one who offended you, to change. Do we wait for them to change until we forgive and love them? No, we can't. If you want to go to the extreme, Jesus said, love your enemies. Okay, we've got to love them anyway. That's our responsibility. That's our commandment. And so we've got to have forgiveness, but we've also got to have patience as we wait in the process for things to change and be righted. Now, Peter's epistle to the Christians in 2 Peter, he said this, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. We need to give each other space and time to continue growing and to overcome things. Now Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote about a mindset of unfaithfulness that he called cheap grace. And we know we're saved by grace through faith, right? And the faith is what produces faithfulness and, and so on. But the problem was that he was writing about was that people abused God's grace by not being too concerned about being faithful. Oh, well, you know, if I send, you know, we've got God's grace. God's grace will cover it. God's grace is so big. So, yeah, I'll go ahead and send now, and then I'll, I'll say I'm sorry later on. And he said that's an abuse of grace. That's making grace cheap. Now, the Apostle Paul did explain that God's desire to save us was so great that where sin increased, grace increased all the more. But then he asked the question, well, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. And Paul makes it clear on that. God's desire is that he not have to keep on and keep on forgiving us over and over and over for the same sins. He wants and expects us to change. He wants and expects us to bear fruit and bear much fruit. And so he works to prune our lives of these things that keep that fruitfulness from being, from being produced. Now, unfortunately... We often think of being faithful as being restrictive and burdensome. I said at the beginning, John's saying in the moral boundaries, no, this is, this is all that God wants you to be open and free to do. Now, we have a loving Father who wants to restrict us from those things that will ultimately create misery in life. You know, Galatians 5 talks about the works of the flesh disregarding what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do in you, disregarding what the Word of God says that we're to do or not do. He says, here's what's going to happen if you live in unfaithfulness, immorality, impurity, debauchery, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. That's where we're headed in a life of unfaithfulness. 
God wants us to open our life to experience the joy and the goodness of what the Holy Spirit can produce in our life. In that same chapter, it says the Holy, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what God wants us to experience through our faithfulness. Now, also back in John's epistle, he says this, but those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. And that is how we know we are living in him. And those who say that they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Not my will, thine be done. Our Heavenly Father is so faithful to us, providing for our needs, watching over us, leading our lives, protecting us. We face nothing separated from His love. And He has given us His Spirit to guide us and strengthen us to live the life that He's called us to live. Now here's one of the most amazing scriptures that I find in, in the Bible. It's in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Listen, it destroys every excuse that we have for not being faithful. Peter wrote this, His divine power has given us everything we need to live a godly life through our knowledge of Him. He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So God expects faithfulness. He's given us all that we need to be faithful, and it's our choice to be faithful or to be unfaithful. But God wants us to live daily, proclaiming what we say we believe, demonstrating it by the life that we live, choosing to be obedient and faithful to the leading of his Holy Spirit and the teachings of our Savior. But God not only expects faithfulness, listen, he desires faithfulness, and faithfulness pleases him. And he rewards faithfulness. Going back to this parable of the miners, you remember uh, the two servants who were faithful? When, God, when the master called them in and asked them, okay, what did you do with what I gave you? And they said, well, we used it. And look, we got more in spite of that. And what, was, what were the master's words? He said, he said this, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. Come, share your master's happiness. People, can we make this our goal? You know, if you want to have something to live by, say, here's, here's, here's my, life, my life goal right here. When I stand before God to give an account of my faithfulness, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Come, share your master's happiness. Now, I... We're talking about faithfulness. I, I'm, I'm hoping that the Spirit was guiding us through all of this. Uh, we're here, we're, we all say we're living for God, 
Are we being faithful not only in producing the character of Christ within our life, are we being faithful in doing the things that God has entrusted to us as the church to do? I don't know. I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit will lead each of us to examine our own faithfulness and say, God, where do I stand? What do I need to do? What needs to be taken out? What needs to be brought in? What is your will for my life? How can I serve you? I want to hear those words. Well done. Whatever your decision, maybe you'd like to place membership with the congregation. Maybe you'd like to give your life to Christ today. You can do that. You can be baptized this, this very same day. Whatever your need is. I, I just want you to consider your faithfulness. Look at it from God's point of view. Do what God leads you to do. That concludes the Sunday Sermons podcast. You can respond to the invitation you just heard where you are right now. Don't waste this opportunity to change your life for the better. If you've made a decision or are interested in learning more, please visit us at morrisonhill.com.